Hey, what it do, world? Welcome to the Market Banter Podcast. You got me, I am Dion Rabona, financial journalist. Joining me, as always, my partner in crime, the man, the myth, the legend himself. We got New York City comedian and working stiff, Dan Enfield. This is, of course, the People's Financial Show, the People's Podcast, Market Banter. Thank you so much for tuning in and being with us. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic, sir. How are you? I am I'm doing I'm doing all right. I'm really excited about our guest today. I Me think too. for the second week in a row, we have the perfect guest for the perfect time. Uh, so today we have Julian Kosky. He is the CIO, co-founder and chief investment officer at New Age Alpha. Uh, he's gonna be talking to us about the ways that human behavior is misinterpreting or mispricing stocks. And I think that's a great thing to talk about because when you talk about GameStop and AMC and all this craziness in the markets right now, that's all human behavior. But he doesn't just look at those meme stocks. He looks at every stock. We're going to talk a little Tesla. We're going to talk a little Clover Health. Um, We're going to just really get into – actually, we're going to get into Boeing as well. So stick around to see what he says about all those and the way that these companies have been mispriced just by human error and – uh, what he calls the human factor. So I think that's going to be that's going to be a really fascinating discussion. Uh, we also are just going to be talking about the way retail traders are getting government regulators' attention and what's really behind these massive moves in GameStop, AMC, some of these other so-called meme stocks. Like I said, getting to what's actually happening, you know, other than the the blame game and you know these Reddit and Robinhood traders don't know what they're doing and blah blah blah. I'm actually going to break it down. Uh, we'll also be talking about the silver rally that isn't actually a rally. Uh, so we'll be getting into to all of that. Uh, Dan, how was your how's your week been? It's been great. Just following the news like crazy. You know, it's really been nonstop. Feels like for the whole year, there's always something wild going on. <laughs> yeah, which has been yeah, not wild in a good way, just wild. Like yeah, no, way. not really. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Hey, let me ask. You, let me ask you a question. Are you a believer in the idea that like this whole GameStop thing is has sort of captured the public's attention because of the Trump poll or the Trump void or the Trump vacuum? Like, basically, because we can't talk about Donald Trump anymore, we got to find something to talk about, and that's what's got everybody going so crazy about GameStop. I think so. Yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it. Also, the fact that, you know, there's 24 hour news, you know, the Internet never really shuts off. You know, I think there's just a lot of you got to fill a lot of time, you know. Yeah, that's been true for a while, though. Like, it's so fascinating because I've had people text me like, oh, yeah, hey, Dion, are you following GameStop? I'm like, of course, I'm following GameStop. Right, 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 right. About finance. Of course, I'm following GameStop. But so funny. Yeah. And then they all have thoughts. Right. Well, I think people have a lot of time on their hands right now. I know I do, unfortunately. So <laughs> yeah. I think when you have time on your hands, you know, maybe you didn't have time to even go to the stock market. So I mean, what do most people do, right? They have a 401k, maybe, that they don't have any say on how that gets going, you know, how that gets invested. So people now you, have you wait, time real to... Real quick, real quick, I just want to say you should have some say on what your 401k is invested. No, for in. sure, absolutely. But I, I think people, <laughs> I think people now have time to, you know... You know, look into stuff like this maybe before then, you know, before when they were a little bit busier, you know? Yeah, I don't know. That sounds lovely, having time to do stuff. I know, I know. consumed with this. We got we got Axios on HBO is back, so I just flew out to D.C. to do an interview for that. And then, humble brag, you know, humble brag. <laughs> 
humble brag. Also, like humble, uh, you know, like let people know to watch the show. Right. Uh, this Sunday. I don't know what time it's on. Actually. You're going to be on it's HBO on Sunday. Check your local listings. Wow. Uh, hopefully, if they didn't, if they didn't cut my segment, then I'll. Be Dude, I think your fo- your phone number's already changed, man. I can't believe it. You know, you're too. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I just I just screen your calls specifically. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what it is. Hey, you wouldn't uh, be the first. Number- yeah, phone number is still the same. But um, real quick, before we get into our segment with Julian Kosky, uh, I just want to talk, do kind of a basic explainer. I did one of these in the newsletter, but I just kind of wanted to break it down step by step what's actually happening with GameStop and AMC and to a lesser extent, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond. Blockbuster actually got in on this as well. It's just kind of a crazy number of nostalgia names. Um, so the first thing I understand is like, the the redditors are treating the stock market like reddit the way reddit has always worked is that like people think that you just submit an article to reddit and then if people like it they upvote it and then it gets to the front page what actually happens is the top redditors all message each other and they send each other the links that they want that the other person who's a top redditor to vote up and then when enough of them do it the story moves to the, the front of reddit so the people on Reddit are used to sharing information this way, and usually you have like a couple hundred people who you'll send your links to. Now that's just been blown up exponentially so that Redditors are like talking to thousands of people, and then people just see it on our Wall Street bets, and they say, oh yeah, I want to buy some of that too. If everyone's buying in, I want to buy in. And so they move, they were able to move these stocks, and they had to pick particular stocks. They had to pick a stock like GameStop because a bunch of people are shorting GameStop. And what that means is basically these big hedge funds and institutions that have a lot of money are betting that the stock is gonna fall. Technically what that means is that they have bought the stock and then, or they've rented it from someone else and then they're going to buy it after it falls and pocket the difference. But what happens is if the price goes up too much, you can lose because your all shirt. these hedge funds, yeah, you lose your shirt, so you have to sell, which actually in this case is buying. So the more the stock rose, the more these hedge funds were buying because they'd have to exit their positions. And when you're short a stock, when you sell, you actually buy. So all these companies that had just been sort of sitting in these positions, once because you have to buy, because you have to up, buy it back. Right, because you're renting right. it and then you have to buy it and you're hoping to buy it at a lower price and then you sell back the share that you rented at that higher price and you pocket the difference. But when the price goes up, you have to buy at that higher price and you lose the difference. So it's basically the opposite of buying a stock. So as all these Redditors were piling into GameStop, the price was going up and it went up from like $4 to you know like three or $400 these hedge funds because they're levered and they've taken and they borrowed a bunch of money to get into these positions are having to then buy the stock at like 50 or 60 or 100 or 150 or $200. Also, the market makers, basically the people who are selling the call options to the redditors because most of them aren't actually buying individual shares, they're buying these options which give them the option to buy when the price hits a certain level. So, GameStop was at $5 and these guys were buying call options at $20, the market makers are like, okay, yeah, I'll sell you a $20 call option. No way it's gonna happen, but I've gotta take out some insurance and buy some of the stock. As that price goes up to $20, the market makers have to buy it all the way up to $20. So you've got, not only is it the Reddit Wall Street Bets Army buying it, the short sellers are buying it because they have to cover their position to get out. 
and the market makers are buying it because they have to buy it as insurance. So you've got everybody on one side of the trade, no one's selling, everyone's buying. And that's why it and shot up so high. That's why it shot up so high. Wow. What happened that dropped it and it sank like a stone was when Robinhood and TD Ameritrade and all these firms said basically you can't buy GameStop, you can only sell. A lot of people got out. And a lot of actually the Wall Street bets crowd, a lot of the retail crowd at least, whether they were Wall Street bets or not, we don't know. But a lot of the retail crowd was actually getting out because they'd made so much money already, right? So if you bought GameStop at $5 and then it goes to $350, you're going to sell. You're going to be like, oh, yeah, I've, course, I've yeah. made, you know, like I've, I've 50x my money. Let right. me get out of here and cash out. So there was a lot and, of selling. And what about the anyway. C-level people in GameStop? Were, were they like, please sell, sell? Like, were, were they trying to cash out or are they even they allowed probably, to? I don't know. A lot of them are probably trying to cash out. The thing is, it's a lot harder for institutions to get out of those positions than it is for an individual. Because if you've just got a thousand shares of GameStop, you can find someone to sell those to. But if you've got a million shares of GameStop, that's really difficult. So you've got to Tough. really position and try to sell strategically and all that stuff. So once the the trading the brokerage firms put a stop on buying and you could only sell well then people started selling because they couldn't buy they didn't know how long this was going to last and the stock has been sinking like a stone ever since right whether it's going to continue to sink as it's doing today or whether it's going to go back up no one knows but right now that was just a huge crimp in the market and, and federal regulators are interested in it and blah 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 but that's what's happening in GameStop, in case you didn't understand, because it's actually, it's super complicated and most people don't for have sure. any idea. That's the explainer for you. Basically, everyone's got different motivations to do the same thing, basically, and that's yeah, what's... Uh, every, yeah, yeah, like, exactly. The short sellers who wanted it to go down ended up having to help it go up, which right. it's like they found kind of a cheat code in the market. If you can find a stock that not a lot of people are buying, but that a lot of people are short, you can move it really significantly, and that's what they did with GameStop. Hmm. Interesting. Um, anyway, that seems like a perfect point to go to our interview with Julian. This is our interview with Julian Kosky, co-founder and CIO at New Age Alpha. He's going to talk to us about how and why humans are screwing up the stock market. Uh, here's our interview with Julian. All right, joining us now on Market Banter is Julian Kosky. He is the co-founder and chief investment officer at New Age Alpha. Julian, thank you so much for being with us on Market Banter. Yeah, pleasure. Great to be here. No, the pleasure is all ours. And I think this is the second week in a row where we've had just the perfect guest for what's happening in the market right now. Uh, talk to me, just explain a little bit to me and to also our viewers and listeners what New Age Alpha is. You've got the thing you call the human factor. Walk me through that. Sure. So basically, we believe there's an epidemic failure within asset management and their understanding of risk, right? Portfolio managers think in terms of picking winners, where really when their goal should be to avoid losers, right? Um, they, you know, if you drew a straight line and that straight line was the S&P 500 and you ask an audience of portfolio managers, how would you design a portfolio to beat the S&P? 99% of them are going to say pick the winners. But think about this for a moment. In order to pick a winner, you have to have some knowledge of the future. And the future, as we all know, is unknown. And the more you forecast this unknown future, the more you're just increasing the odds you're going to be wrong and invest in a loser. 
So at New Age Alpha, we completely redesigned the investment methodology around avoiding losers. And we've divorced ourselves from, from traditional portfolio or Wall Street things. And we've adopted the principles from insurance to do that, right? So that's what we've mm -hmm. done. It's, it's all about avoiding a loser. We're not interested in trying to find who the next winner is. And it, the problem that comes is what's happening in, uh, in Wall Street today, is, uh, it's not just Wall Street, it's everywhere. You look politically what's happening. There's so much vague and ambiguous information out there that investors, humans, are impounding this information into stock prices. Now, that's mm. what's leading to loss, right? You don't lose money because the fundamentals of the company are a problem. You lose money because of human behavior around the stock price, right? So humans, you just look at GameStop and look at some of these stocks going on. It's not, yeah, the fundamentals are bad to start with, but really what the problem is, yeah. is the behavior around it is even worse, right? Um, and that's yeah. the key. If you want to make money, you know, there's a difference, investing versus gambling. We're investors, we're not gamblers, right? And we're right. calculating the odds that investors are, are, are viewing these stock prices incorrectly, right? It's mispriced odds. That's how you make money. You don't make yeah. money from the fundamentals. So Julian, what and you're so saying Julian, that means that they're undervalued or overvalued in terms of like a pricing mismatch? Who, which stocks are you talking, are you talking about? Particular I'm stocks just that? saying like generally, like from what you were just saying about like- We're looking to avoid overpriced stocks and invest in underpriced stocks, right? And what an overpriced stock is, is a stock that has been pushed up by humans, by human behavior, that has no more relevance to its underlying financial statements. And we can calculate that mathematically. So what we do is we're using math here all the way. So we can see when humans are impounding vague and ambiguous information into a stock price. If you want an example, we can use Tesla, right? I mean, it's a good example yeah. of, you know, so, Talk you know, Tesla. well, look at Tesla from about 18 months ago. I want to go back in time. Tesla was trading at $253 about in July 2019, Ooh, right? Right, yeah, at the bottom, right at the bottom. We bottom. did the math on Tesla. If you worked backwards from Tesla, you could calculate how many new cars Tesla needed to sell to justify that price. You could also calculate the revenue they needed. They needed $6 billion in revenue and they needed to sell 95,000 new cars per quarter to justify that $253 price. Now, if you did a simple exercise, just open Tesla's financial statements to the prior 16 quarters to see how many times they actually delivered that you would have seen they delivered that nearly 80% of the time. Now, let's put some context around this. Back then, there were 169 headlines about Tesla out there. 130 of those headlines were negative. You had Wall Street gods like Jim Chanos and David Einhorn all saying, this company is the biggest short that's gonna go out of business. But that's the vague and ambiguous information I'm talking about. That got found its way into the stock price. And in that case, it underpriced the stock. It was clearly underpriced, but it was just coming from vague and ambiguous information. No one did the math to look at, yeah, but, oh, wait a minute, Julian, 80 percent of the time he could deliver. But, but Julian, what about Tesla at $850 or $900 Ooh, a share, a where it is now? Well, guess what? Right now, the probability of delivering is no longer 80%. It's only 50% now. It changes every day. Remember, the higher the stock mm -hmm. price goes, the harder it becomes for management to deliver. Remember, that's what stock prices do. What everyone forgets to yeah. remember is as you buy a stock and the stock price goes up, you just put more pressure on management now to deliver growth to support that. It has to happen. Now, the key is yeah. if it goes up too much, well, guess what? At some point, the company can't deliver anymore. You're going to have a failure on your hands. That's what we do in real time with math. We're doing what insurance companies yeah. do, right? Well, so when, huh, when you say insurance companies, you mean like from almost like an actuarial 
standpoint? I mean, explain yeah. that a little bit. Yeah. Well, we have we have a saying: manage risk like an actuary, not like a portfolio manager. Think about when you got life insurance. Have you ever bought it or health insurance? When you fill out that form, they don't ask you questions like. Are you going to go to the gym? Are you going to quit smoking? They ask you very factual questions. Do you smoke? Do you not smoke? Do you go to the gym, right? They underwrite risk mm -hmm. based on what they know. When we think about stocks, right, and underwriting risk, there's only two things you know about a stock at any point in time, the stock price and the financial statements. The rest mm -hmm. is this vague and ambiguous information, mm -hmm. the so-called the so-called so um, you know uh, gurus and forecasters, because that's what they're doing. They just you know right. when somebody makes an assumption about the future, you're gambling. You're gambling. There, you, right. There's no other way to talk about it, right? So so you want to do the math that strips out that gambling nature to look at the company without that gambling aspect in it. That's all it is. Hmm. Oh, but I want to take you to to another place here because. We are dealing with a lot of outside forces. I mean, you've got right now just a rising tide really lifting all boats, right? So it's like in this market right now, it's very hard to miss on stocks, whether they are properly valued or undervalued or overvalued, just because you've got the Fed pumping the market full of liquidity. You've got, you know, this general bullish narrative that's going through Wall Street right now. So I think I would, I would point out that there are a lot of stocks that really aren't, let's say, properly valued or are overvalued, but they continue to go up? Or would you say that's incorrect? No, that, that, that's true. But again, that's where, that's where it's important to have an, uh, something like what we do, right? Because, you know, stocks are going up all the time and you want to differentiate, differentiate between what we call fairly priced stocks, which we avoid. You know, you, you're not interested in buying a fairly priced stock. There's no advantage there. Mm -hmm. You want to buy an underpriced stock and you want to short an overpriced stock, right? So you want to look for the outliers, right? So right now, I'll give you an example. The median probability right now of the S&P 500 is at about 50%, which means literally half those companies have a, are fairly valued right now. But there's lots of outliers between that are overpriced and underpriced. And that's what you want to focus on. So you make money that way. You can't stop investing, right? The, the key is to know what you're looking at. You know, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's mispriced odds. It's, if you view the stock market as a casino, then somebody needs to have the odds somebody else is wrong. And that's what we're right. doing. I, look, the fundamentals are important, but the fundamentals don't lead to overpricing. It's human behavior that leads to overpricing. Sure. But what about, you talked about Tesla, right? So Tesla at 253 was undervalued, but what about Tesla at 400, 500, 600? It might've been, it was what? Well, so as it grew up to, to its current value. Well, well, no, again, as it was at 400 or 500 or 600, right? Because now it's over 800. Yeah. So even at those points, you know, you had obviously gone down from 80% probability of delivering at those price points. Yeah, but it but doesn't it's still... drop that much. doesn't drop that much. And one of the things people forget is, you know, I'll give you another analogy to that, to think about Google. So we looked at Google 12 years ago when Google was just going public and things like that, right? And it was very interesting to watch Wall Street analysts tell you that at $500 a share, it was a buy, at 600 it was a hold, and they had all these different ideas when you should own the share. The fact of right. the matter, Google's stock price implied a certain number of clicks that if you went from $500 a share, it implied, I think, about just over a billion clicks, advertising clicks. At $800 a share, it implied something like 1,100,000 clicks, not that much more. Why? 
because the margins that Google makes on that business doesn't impact the volume that they need to achieve. It's the the margins are good. Mm. It's Tesla's the same way. Tesla is unlike other motor car manufacturers. At each vehicle that it's producing, its margins are good and getting better, right? So they don't have to sell many more cars as their price goes up. Yes, it's, it's substantial mm. now. It's gone from 95,000 new cars to 216, around about there, 216,000 new cars per quarter now. So now, right. that's why it's moved into the fair value territory. And if you just looked at the announcement about a week ago, they pretty much hit that. That's exactly what they hit. Okay. So let's talk about some of these meme stocks, as they're being called, that are in the news right now. You look at GameStop, you look at AMC, uh, you look at Nokia. What do you, when you look at those, those seem to be moving completely divorced from fundamentals, but how do you view those? Same way. I mean, we did a, I looked at GameStop, I think last Thursday, GameStop's probability of failure to deliver was 100%. Now, let me give you some context for that. We have never, ever had a stock in our system that gives you a 100% chance of failure because we cap it at 99. So, because we just thought, wait a minute, it's not possible. It had a 100% chance of failure, right? I mean, again, are you a gambler or are you an investor? You know, I mean, if, if you want to play the game of, of the GameStops and the AMCs, good luck, right? But it's, it, it's dangerous, right? It's good and it's dangerous, right? there's one way to make money in this market. Don't lose money, right? Avoid the losers, right? The key is to avoid loss, right? And if people just understood that, you'd make a lot more money consistently versus, you know, yeah, great, you made a lot of money on GameStop. I promise you at some point you're going to pay the piper and pay that all back. Yeah. What about some of these stocks that are picking up uh, a lot of steam or getting talked about? Uh, Clover Health and Churchill Capital. What do you make of those? Well, Clover Health, right? Let's just look at that one for a moment. I mean, I said earlier, and, and, and this one, Clover Health, actually, you know, corrects me quite a lot because I said, you don't lose money because of the fundamentals. But the problem is with Clover Health, you're losing your shit because of the fundamentals, right? It's, you know, the, the fraud and all those. So, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to say what I said, right? But the fact of the matter is, if somebody wants to perpetrate a fraud, well, that's a fundamental problem and you're going to lose money, right? Uh, on yes. That stock, right? <laughs> so, it's, you know, I, I, when, when we look at our system, we, we, we don't, you know, we don't work in that world. We work in the S&P 500 or 2,500 more established names. We're trading with those. But, you know, again, it's, um, you know, one of the things about investing in the equity market is, in some respects, a lot of the risks investors take is an unpriced risk, meaning they don't get rewarded for taking that risk. There's no upside to the risk, right? But they take it because it might be it might be the endorphin rush they get from what they do, but it's not about getting payback. At least if you go to a casino, you know the odds of being right and wrong. You know them. But when it comes to investing in stocks, you don't know the odds and there's no pricing mechanism for it, right? If Warren Buffett was selling that Clover, is it called Clover Medical, right? You, you know that Warren Buffett would have done a lot of due diligence around it. And if he gave you a stock tip, you basically could expect to get a rate of return just north of the risk-free rate. Why? Because Warren Buffett is more right than he's wrong, right? Because he does the work to do that. He's, but got he gets, he's got a reputation up. Yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. But when somebody's telling you to buy Clover or what a Clover, or is it called Clover again? Sorry, I was the name. Yeah, um, Clover Health. Clover There's Health. A, Hindenburg and, came out with a note about it today saying that yeah. they're shorting it, it's a fraud, et right. cetera, et cetera. 
So, so if the person telling you about that is right for only 50% of the time, well, there should be a discount for the price you pay for Clover for that guy being wrong 50% of the time. But there's no discount for it, right? So you're taking a risk where you're only betting on the upside, not on the downside. I mean, a simple thing I used to say to people is, if you go to the top of a mountain and you're going to ski down a mountain, right? And you go down the mountain, and you break your legs, right? Well, you, you'll know the risk you took the minute you go down that mountain, right? But if you went to the top of the mountain and the insurance company puts a sign up there that says 80% of the people who go down this mountain break their legs, you will reprice your risk right there and then, <laughs> right? Yeah. And that's yeah, the problem. Will. There's no mechanism for investors to price the risk they're taking when they get into these mm. stocks. Our human factor calculation is that mechanism. I'm telling you what the risk you're taking is their price to be paid for this. Okay. And Julian, last question I ask because we uh, we gotta we gotta jump in and let you Sorry. get back to you know pricing these these stocks. But yeah. what do you think if you could give me a couple names of the most the stocks that are the most detached from value in terms of what's the most overvalued and most undervalued that you're looking at right now? Well, when you look at, you know, looking at names, we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you look at Boeing. You look at Boeing for a moment, right? Even Boeing right now is a very overpriced stock, right? Because people are viewing, they're viewing that. And that's why I want to give you names that mean something, right? So Boeing, in our view, has about an 80% chance it's going to fail to deliver the growth that's implied by its stock price based on math, right? And then you look at stocks like, you know, Darden Restaurants, you look at Facebook, Goldman Sachs. These stocks are underpriced in, in our view, right? Um, they've more than delivered to support the price they're trading at. One would argue that they're actually, they're, they're, they're very undervalued stocks. Hmm, interesting. And the actual last question I'll ask you is just, does value mean anything? Because at this point with, like I said, the Fed pushing up, uh, you know, pushing out liquidity with stocks just kind of going out, does it really mean anything if a stock is over undervalued, if the price is just going to rocket higher anyway? Right. I was going to say that too. It's like, uh, it's because people are gaming the system anyway. And so if you're an investor and the shock shoots up, even if it's on shaky ground, like you were saying, who cares if I'm getting a massive return, right? I mean, but at some point you're going to pay. At some point, you're going to pay for that, right? And so that's it. Are you, if you want to take short-term returns and gamble on it, great, go ahead. But if you want to make a consistent return in a portfolio built to be sustainable, then no, you can't do that, right? Then you've got to look at it. That's what it is. Okay. Julian Kosky, co-founder and CIO, New Age Alpha. Thanks again for being with us. Oh, thanks. It was great, guys. Anytime. Great, man. Yeah. Okay. Pleasure. Yeah, so that was our, our interview with Julian Kosky. Dan is putting yep. his phone away. Um, uh, and I thought what was really interesting was his thoughts on what's overpriced in Boeing. But I really think it's, it's interesting what he says, but it kind of just seems like the old value versus growth theory, where value investors are like, well, you got to find these stocks with value. But like the value stocks have underperformed growth stocks like Google and Facebook and you know all of those for the past decade, I think it's been the past 12 years, because the market no longer functions like a market. So I think it's still interesting that, you know, he's he's saying a company like Tesla was undervalued at 250, and that triggered kind of a buy signal for him, but also I can't imagine how a company like Google isn't overvalued hmm. based on the fundamentals. I gotta say, I, I loved it. I think that was one of our best guests because, you know, from the little I know about this, from what I've picked up since we've been doing the show, I, I almost see him as like a, I don't know if you want to call him a traditionalist, but 
I always I saw him as a very like yeah. reason based person. Like you know, if I understood what he was saying correctly, he was basically like, look, you know, a company's share should be like you look at their financials, look at what they do, and if their sales or if you have hard numbers basically to go on, then you can make an informed decision. You know, from there. You know, that's how I right. understood it anyway. Yeah, and what what. What his firm does that's different than just your typical value manager is they actually calculate how much human either, you know, ebullience or like mm. overbelief in the stock or underbelief in the stock, just like bad news, whatever, chasing or following right. the herd, how much that's actually driving the price. And so that's that's what's really interesting for sure. about his firm. And I always think of All right, so we're gonna we're gonna I I, I always I always think sorry, of WeWork, you know, when that it come you know company that had a massive IPO, but then you looked at the balance sheets and they were horrendous. So, you know, well, we work never, oh, yeah, right. They never actually did. They tried to, right. They tried to, right, right. Yeah. Fair enough. They tried to, they tried to have a massive IPO and then they fired the CEO. By the way, I think what's going to be fascinating is if, and when this all crashes and all these tech CEOs go broke because all their money is still in stock, Adam Newman from WeWork might be like the last. Yeah, that's right. Because he cashed out. Yeah. WeWork gave, yeah, they gave him. Well, he didn't even get to cash out. They just were like, "Here, take your billion dollars and go away." Hey, man, when I got fired, you know, Which, like, when, when I got fired from the grocery store, and you know, when I was fourteen years old, <laughs> I don't think I got a package like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a nice package. Like here, you know what? Get right. out of here. I think I was allowed to keep my apron. That was my. Uh, that was my package. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of of, of all this, I mean. I, what I think is really fascinating is that you've now got you know all these regulators like the SEC is saying it's going to investigate what's going on with Robinhood and Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she's going to investigate. She's called a meeting with the heads of the Fed, the SEC, the New York Fed, and wait, who's the other one? The oh, the CFTC, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, basically to see like what's going on here, and. What's going on here is really, really simple. Like, there's, I don't understand why we need to investigate it. Like, the Reddit traders figured out how to game certain stocks in the market, and then they did it, and then the stock price went up. And the only way that you can make that, make it so that that won't happen again and again, over and over, is to make it so either one, people can't buy options, or two, people can't take on short interest. Or three, maybe you make it so that all these hedge funds can't just lever up with like a billion dollars of loaned money and use right. it to short stocks. Well, is it loaned money or it's their investors' money, right? I mean... No, it's loaned money. Right, so it's right. like their investors' money. Let's say they have like a billion dollars of right. their investors' money and then they go borrow some more money at like 0% interest rates or, you know, whatever it is, like 2% mm -hmm. that you get from, uh, they obviously aren't going through banks, that they have other mechanisms that they can use to get their free money. But then they borrow another billion dollars, right. or, you know, another $10 billion, a lot of them. And they use that in these short positions so that when it goes up, let's say it goes up by right. 10%, right? So with a billion dollars, that would normally get you $100 million. But it goes, if your bet goes up by 10% and you've got $10 billion, Instead, you've made a billion dollars. You've doubled right. your money. Right. So what's behind this? The Fed keeping interest rates at zero. It's free, it's free money, and basically. 
putting the in a, in, a, in a way. Yeah, it's free money, but then there's also the Fed put, which is like anytime the stock market goes down, the Fed is going to push trillions of dollars in liquidity, maybe buy stocks, maybe buy more bonds, do whatever it takes to keep stock prices going higher. So it's an environment that the Fed has created and that the Treasury Secretary, the previous Treasury Secretary, Steve Mnuchin, created. And that's why this is happening. But that's not the conclusion they're ever going to come to because that would involve taking responsibility for their own actions. So I'm really interested to see what conclusions yeah, they come too, to. Yeah, me too, actually. Because that won't be the one. And, 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 yeah, me What's too. That? And that, that's what I've been curious about is, you know, how is what the Reddit people – the Reddit gang, you know, how is what they did any different than what the hedge fund was doing? You know, it's, right, it's not, it's not right, but, it's but not. for some reason, I almost feel like they're, they want to like, you know, outlaw one, but not the other. It's very, very odd. Well, it is right. And I guess, I don't know, again, if they were actually to do some true introspection, they might say they're like, oh yeah, hedge funds have kind of been gaming the stock market for years. Institutional right. investors have been gaming the stock market for years. But again, that would require self-reflection and actually taking responsibility for the actions that they've made, mm. as we've seen from Fed Chair Jerome Powell's, Jerome Powell's press conferences, there is zero interest in doing any of that. So, and and also I will say what's also kind of different is not only that it's retail traders doing it, but that they're talking to each other. So like usually the hedge funds don't coordinate; they just have enough money that they can just go in and buy and buy and buy, and then squeeze shorts out so that the shorts have to buy and then they help raise the price. And hedge funds have done that for years and years and years. Actually, on the Voices of Wall Street podcast, which is a different one, I talked to Darius Dale. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our good friend. You and I have spoken to. And he said, he pointed out, like, yeah, hedge funds have done this for years. This is actually one of their main strategies. And now it's just because regular people are doing it. We're supposed to be, you know, we need to have right. hearings. <laughs> the House Financial Services is going to have right, a hearing. Right. And the Senate Banking Committee is going to have a hearing. And, like, God, it's, like I said, I mean, it's going to be interesting because it would require them to say, like, oh, hey, you know what? This is our bad. Right. Uh, we should have done something. And I don't think that's going to happen. I doubt that's gonna going to happen, too. Yeah. Dan, do you own any silver? I don't. You don't. You don't. You haven't been buying silver? Well, everyone else and their mother has been buying silver. And um, I don't know, it's got people talking about a silver rally or, you know, because there was this one guy on Reddit who posted about how Redditors need to get into silver. And then the price went up by, I think it was like 20 cents more than it had been in September. And everyone got all excited. And now it's been down the past two days, I think, by like mm. 20%. So it's still in the same range that it's is silver. Been silver more August, valuable than gold? No, right? Gold's more expensive, I would think. No, not, not, even, not, close. not even close. Gold is about eighteen hundred dollars a troy ounce. Uh, silver's about thirty dollars a troy ounce. A troy ounce after the silver rally. Yeah, I honestly don't okay. know what a troy ounce is either, but that's what they measure silver in. Good to know. So yeah, yeah, but actually, everyone has been buying silver, like physical silver. Literally, the U.S. Mint came out earlier this week on Tuesday and said that it's not been able to meet demand for gold and silver bullion coins last year or in January this month, partially because of the pandemic, partially because everyone is buying silver. Again, this comes back to the Fed, the Fed with its fake funny money machine pushing $3 trillion of liquidity out into the market, driving the money supply through the roof. 
is making people think, oh, yeah, the dollar is going to be worthless. I need to buy gold and silver. Right. And then they're doing that. So if regulators want to look at this again, they would have to say, oh. It's a common theme of like uh, they make these policies and then there's like a direct correlation to it. And then they're like, well, why is this happening? That's what I, yeah, <laughs> right, I see that right, from time right, to right. time. Like, what's, what's yeah, going yeah. on? It's a bit like Urkel. It's a bit like Urkel. Right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. did I do that? <laughs> I think we actually have it's Julia like, yeah. White on for, yeah, for our did. next week's guest, so yeah. <laughs> we should. We should. Julia White, I'm, I'm going back in my I'm memory sure bank here. I'm sure he loves to do that. Yeah, I'm sure Julia White would love to do good banter. I'm sure he's got the availability. Take us back. All right. On that note, I think uh, I think we're going to close with the show. Anything else you want no, to throw man, in I'm there? No, I'm just so happy about our guest. He was great. Still thinking about what he was saying. Great guest. Got me fired up. Julian yeah. Koski. Julian Koski, CIO of. Hold on, I, I lost the, the name. Is CIO New Age Alpha. Either there's New something about having the, the uh, side mic that just says that you mean business. You know, <laughs> something about that. Like when somebody comes on with the the mission control mic, you know, that guy's not here to mess around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's actually all it was. That's, that's what you're excited about is yeah, the Mission sure. Control mic. Got it. Got it. All right. Uh, hey, thanks everybody for tuning in to Market Banter. He is Dan Enfield. I am Dion Rabowin. Uh, this was Market Banter. You are who you are. We are who we are. I don't know. Thanks for yeah. tuning in. We'll catch you again next week. We'll catch you again next week. Awesome.